Hey everybody, this is Jerry, and you are listening to the Dulos Podcast, where we like to have uncomfortable conversations with those inside and outside the church. So with me today, I have a guy who um, I've known for probably over 20 years at this point. Uh, His name is Kevin Glenn, and you want to say hi to everybody, Kevin? Hey, pack your bags. Jesus is coming, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's old school right there. Oh, that's an inside joke. No, it's good to be with you, man. (laughs) (laughs) For for those who don't know, when back in the late 90s, when I first became a Christian, Kevin was uh, doing a series called Pack Your Bags, Jesus is Coming, where it was pretty much a dispensational end times theology. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's, it's um, you know, it was part of the growing pains, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, today is definitely going to be a... Um, a very interesting, I guess is an easy way to put it, topic. It's going to be something that I feel like I'm going to offend more of my progressive-leaning friends. Um, so I want to get that disclaimer out there uh, right away. I hope you guys don't hate me after this episode. Uh, I'm still the same Jerry as I am. So um what I wanted to talk about today and, and, and pick Kevin's brain about it um, is what sort of sparked um, this episode. Really, I've been out of the loop, but over the weekend uh, or sometime last week, there was what's called the GC Conference, which I believe stands for the General Conference for the United Methodist Church. And the long story short, the church as a whole voted to um, pretty much recognize what they say is the traditional view of marriage and um, which that pretty much means between a man and a, and a woman and from that they would not recognize LGBT leaders uh, even to the point of um, you know just punishment I guess you could say it's like a discipline where you know you can't do a same-sex wedding, uh, anything like that. You can be in a same-sex relationship and be a leader in that church. So that's kind of what we'll be talking about uh, today. But before we dive into that, to kind of give some context, Kevin, would you mind sharing a little bit background info on yourself? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, my name's Kevin, and uh, I'm, I'm Jerry's old, old, emphasis on old youth pastor. <laughs> and, uh, so it's your yeah, fault that I'm a Christian. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Me and and uh, me and Dawson McAllister. Uh, so uh, <laughs> no, but uh, no, I've been I've been in uh, I, I've been in ministry for a little over 26 years now, and currently pastoring um, Calvary Baptist Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. But I'm actually a native Floridian, and that's where Jerry and I met was uh, in Bradenton, Florida. And uh, I grew up in Auburndale, Florida, um, a little little redneck hamlet there um, uh, in Polk County, Florida. So, yeah, my roots in Florida run really deep. I, I did Ancestry.com recently and found out I'm, an, I'm actually an eighth-generation Florida native. So it's, wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, uh, I, I studied, I did my undergrad work at Trinity College there in uh, Newport Ritchie, and uh, my uh, master's work at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, and then my, uh, my doctoral studies at uh, George Fox University in Portland, Oregon. So kind of kind of had a wide variety of, of, of the educational palette there. Um, uh, my lead mentor in my doctoral program was Leonard, is, uh, was Leonard Sweet. And so Leonard Sweet, part of the United Methodist movement, probably would be on the traditional side regarding the decision that was just made. Um, but George Fox University is a Quaker school. And then Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, non-denominational, and then Trinity. Uh, I think when I went there, Trinity was aligned with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but uh, I don't know if they have that anymore, if they're just non-denominational. But anyway, um, I've been married 25 years. I uh, have two kids, grown kids. Um, and yeah, life, life is good. But uh, this is actually... This is actually an issue that I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about. Um, I think it needs to be discussed. And, you know, the thing is, Jerry, I know you kind of you kind of warned your progressive friends you might offend them. I, you know, I think, um, uh, of, of course, I'm going to come at this from a from a traditional uh, from the traditional uh, uh, teaching of, of, of Scripture. But uh, I'm. Definitely not. Uh, I I definitely would not qualify as somebody who's homophobic. Um, that's just that's just not how I live. It's not how I relate. Um, I'm absolutely comfortable talking about it. Uh, I'm I'm in friendships, relationships um, with with uh, people who are and who are not followers of Christ, who are and who are not in the LGBTQ community. So. Um, Someone's sexual orientation is not a is not what I base friendship on, and so you know the the friends that I have we, we have these conversations openly. We may debate fiercely, but we respect each other genuinely, and that's kind of that's kind of where I think the conversation has to go. So you know, um, hopefully, uh, whatever listeners are left now, uh, they'll, they'll, give it, they'll they'll give us a hearing. And and uh, and I fully plan after after you ask me questions, Jerry, and we talk about it. Uh, I'm going to get my email address and my website and everything because I'd love to hear from people, and I would love to continue the conversation. Sure, cool, man. Um, yeah. And and I think uh, as well to kind of you know I've, I've known Kevin a long time, and Kevin has been that guy who I would call, and and you know whenever there was something you know going on in my life, and. You know, with Kevin, it's interesting that even though we weren't around as much during my, you know, sort of young adulthood, where in college and post-college, we were pretty much almost taking similar journeys of our faith where, you know, we went from extreme conservative, you know, conservative approaches to things to, I wouldn't say all the way progressive, but just more like, eh, you know, not as uh, staunch and not as certain um, with certain things that we believe. So it's just interesting that we were taking, um, you know, sort of similar paths and, and, and everything. So and and Kevin is actually the one who got me into Trinity College. And uh, I would say it's more like inner, when I was there, it was more interdenominational. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, th- th- there were CMAs and stuff, but 
Um, I tried to still keep the more reformed tradition alive there where was a president of the reformed club and, 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 and had the blue shirt Wednesdays and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, so, so anyways, uh, be, before we dive into that, I want to read a few tweets from what really caught my eye with what was trending, uh, last week regarding this conference and obviously, uh, a few of these tweets you can tell are coming from people who are more on the, uh, you know, I guess you could say pro LGBTQ uh, side of it. So um, I'm going to read a few tweets from people and, and then we'll kind of dive into how Kevin and I feel about this issue. So um, when, uh, when the church officially, you know, made it official... Uh, here are a few reactions on Twitter from Union Seminary. They said this. They said, churches defended slavery. Churches became apologists for Hitler. Churches promoted segregation. Churches said women shouldn't preach. To all who grieve today, remember that churches don't always act in accordance with God's will. Sometimes they defy it. Uh, another guy said this. Pastor Steve Smith said, a former parishioner once said to me, I'd rather have to explain to God why I included someone than why I excluded them. Uh, another guy said this, um, a guy by the name of Kevin Kim Wright. He said, dear traditional plan supporters, if you think a vote will keep me out of this church, you're about to be seriously disappointed. Queerly yours, me. Um, I read about one or two more. Uh, Rachel, Rachel Held Evans said this, Grieving the loss of a church or your place in it can be as painful as grieving the loss of a loved one. Sending love and prayers to all of support. I'm sorry. Sending love and prayers to all who are grieving that loss today. I am so sorry. Uh, the last one says this. Um, Julie Rogers, that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S, said this. I am blown away by the courage of the LGBTQ people at hashtag GC20, uh, I'm sorry, hashtag GC2019. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to have a community, even as they move to exclude you. You are living examples of Jesus Christ, and you are a gift to the worldwide church. So those are a few reactions from the United Methodist Church's pretty much official position to say we're going to take the more traditional approach to marriage which is between a man and a woman and you can you know there are a few more but the gist of it of these people were hey we love you and you are not forgotten and you are not forsaken god loves you and um you know you there are a few more but you just really sense the pain from these people that uh, i'm sure my reading didn't do it justice but the, the pain of, of those people who are like, man, it, this sucks. What, what is happening? Um, these are people who are part of their, who have been part of that community. And now they're told that they can either A, no longer um, be married, um, you know, or they can be in a leadership position, but they should not be in a same sex uh, relationship. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that definitely stinks. I mean, any thoughts about those quotes, Kevin? Anything that stood out to you? Yeah, and uh, I, I had um, I had some 
some people in my cohort that are part of the uh, United Methodist Church and would have been on the, um, you know, on on the side that uh, that that did not, um, for lack of a better term, that did not win this vote. I think it was a fifty-one or fifty-two percent majority. It wasn't much. Mm, okay. So it's by you know, for all intents and purposes, it's it's a it's a split. It's a split in the denomination. And the the thing is, <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I, and, and let me let me go back to why I, I mentioned those those people that were in my cohort because um, you know I I knew them I know them I studied with them uh, I'm friends with them uh, I love them very much um, we even in the cohort we didn't agree on this but we always respected each other but what I what I am wondering is I don't know what the posture was in in how in how the vote took place. I'm not, I'm not in the United Methodist church. So I don't know, you know, what was the rhetoric like? What was the climate like? Because it's, it's, it's one thing to, it's one thing to state what you believe. It's another thing to state that in a way that's dehumanizing or, um, lacking in, in just civility or practical sensitivity, uh, to, to the people who, who disagree with you or whose lives are going to be impacted by the decision that's being made. So, you know, I, I again, there's a lot that I don't know about this. Um, I, if, if, if someone had a, my understanding from my United Methodist friends is that they have like a pension program or something. And so, I mean, some of the nuts and bolts on this, what does that mean for, um, for someone who's been employed, uh, within a United Methodist Church has been kind of on the payroll and has paid into the pension. You know, I think those are, I don't know how all that is being handled. And I can, I can completely see if, if it's just kind of a, a cutoff. Um, but, and I, and I don't know if it is, but if, if it's being handled that way, <clears throat> uh, not only can I understand the, the, the pain of feeling like you're being, forsaken and abandoned but uh in in some practical and even financial ways that that just wouldn't be right uh there there and so uh my reaction and my response to those quotes is i hope that uh that those who were speaking and voting for the traditional um for the traditional view were not doing it in a way that was dehumanizing to um, to their fellow Methodists that uh, that had a that have a different interpretation of the Scripture on that, and who are, are living according to to a different um, according to different decisions. Um, I can definitely hear I can hear the pain, and I I don't think I don't think it's necessary to. I don't think it's necessary to dehumanize people in in speaking uh, toward an issue. I think that's some of the things we do. We 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 get we get the individuals. We, we forget that these issues represent individuals. So there's got to be there's got to be compassion. There's got to be reasonableness there, and and that's the part of the story I'm not hearing. And so I, I don't, I don't know. Um, on the, on the flip side, <clears throat> um, 
I've been called every name in the book by progressives simply because I don't agree with them. And so, um, you know, I made a note here that there's one, one of my one of my friends um, posted on Facebook recently. He kind of took the uh, the United Methodist um, uh, motto, which was uh, "Open minds, open hearts, and open doors," and the cross with the flame coming up. Well, he on his Facebook he turned that upside down, and he said the Methodist Church closed hearts, closed minds, and closed doors, and. I don't. I don't know if that's not a uh, an, an an overreach. Are they are they really closed minded just because they don't agree with you? That seems like a closed minded thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, or have they really closed their hearts? I, you know. So I think the rhetoric is hot right now, and there's a lot of reacting going on, and I think that with some time as we get more of the story, how, how are, how are folks being treated? What is the level of rhetoric uh, and stuff like that? I think we'll, we'll get a little bit of a clearer picture. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. And, and I think you, you made a good point that I, I think in our, you know, society, especially with the rise of Twitter and social media, that there's this sort of instant knee jerk reaction of, you know, in the political world, they say hot takes. You know, what are these hot takes on this certain issue? And so everyone's ready to um, to kind of jump on it. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I wish I could tell you. I don't know all the nitty gritty details as well. Um, so I, I, I agree. I, I do hope that if there are these people who did pay into this stuff, you know, like practically and logistically, how does that look? You know, okay, if you're if you're um, you know a, a gay pastor, and now we're not going to recognize you as one. Are we just kicking you out the door? Or are we, you know, having like a parachute, so to you know, so to speak? So and 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 not not just financial, but I mean emotional as well too. I mean, I, I know it's it's going to take a toll on people emotionally, and and um, so I wish I could say I can relate to those people. I I, I can relate in different ways, but not in in that specific way. So, um, but no, it definitely made made some good points. So um, so with that. Um, now we're going to kind of dive in here to some questions that I'm going to ask Kevin, and then I will give my perspective as well. So again, people just be patient with us, bear with us, do not, you know, throw your phone away if you're listening to this. <laughs> if you're driving, no, it's too expensive, especially if you didn't buy insurance, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> and if you're jogging or if you're driving, do not, uh, you know, swerve or anything. So bear with me. Be patient with us. Show us grace as well. Um, okay, so the first question I'm going to ask Kevin, and then I'll give my perspective as well. Um, let's start right away with it, Kevin. Is homosexuality a sin? Well, the thing is, whenever that question's asked, it gets a lot of... Um, it gets a lot of people going, oh, 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 you know, are we are we going to go right into the sin word? And, <laughs> and, and then, and, and then unfortunately, that automatically gets looped in with, oh my gosh, that's hate and and and, and all that. So um, what I want to what I want to try to do is give give the give the short answer and then and then flesh that out a little bit. Um, I don't think it's helpful. To, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but sure. I, I don't think it's helpful to, to necessarily isolate 
um, uh, same-sex sexual relationships um, in a discussion about about sinfulness. I mean, I think if, if somebody's going to ask the question directly, yeah, if we're in a courtroom and I'm asked the question, if you know, is is homosexuality a sin? Um, I'm going to say, well, um, the scripture, according to what the scripture teaches, um, yes. Now, the the longer answer to that is that it is no more a sin than sex outside of marriage, sex prior to marriage, uh, sex with someone who is not someone's spouse. Um, Sexual immorality, the the Greek term porneia, covers a a, a whole gamut of of sexual behavior that that this that the scripture places outside of God's design for human sexuality. And so the, I think a lot of times the church is guilty of, uh, of overlooking some other types of sin uh, and really, really focusing in on, uh, on sexual sin. Um, in fact, the way that I've kind of seen it, uh, you can kind of break it down. Uh, liberal, liberal progressives will read 1 Corinthians 6, and they'll really, they'll really zone in on what Paul says about how idolaters and drunkards and, and the greedy and revilers and swindlers, they'll really dial in on, on, that, uh, on those practices of injustice. Um, but but, but want to overlook what 1 Corinthians 6 says about sexual immorality. Conservatives, on the other hand, they... They, uh, they really, really want to zero in on the sexual sin, but don't talk to a conservative about greed. And uh, so whenever you talked about greed, uh, the scripture is talking about materialism and reviling. That's basically gossip and swindling. The interesting thing about swindling there in 1 Corinthians 6 is it's referring to um, ruthless business practices, not illegal business practices, but ruthless business practices. And so... Uh, I feel like conservatives will read 1 Corinthians 6, and all they want to see are the sexual sins, and they'll overlook ruthless business practices. You know, don't talk to them about exploiting anybody. Don't talk to them about anything like that. And then liberal progressives want to want to really focus in on all the injustice of unjust business practices and materialism, but don't talk to us about sexuality. So really, I think, you know, not wanting to hear that something is sinful is we're all we're all in that same boat together and we're all seasick together. So that you know that's not taking away from the answer that I'm giving. I just want to give a little more context rather than just saying you know what same sex sexual uh, sexual activity is a sin. Okay, and along with that, there's this whole slew of other things mentioned in First Corinthians six. That that um, that that Paul points to, and really, it all comes down to sex, money, and power. How are you using sex, money, and power? Are you using them in ways that place your own needs and your own desires up, uh, ahead of what's best for the community, or are you uh, or, or are you just into what you want and what you want to feel, and you know the heck with everybody else? And that's really. That's really what those what those things come down to. Um, so that's the longer answer, but the short answer that hopefully um, you know can can 
uh, you know, just clarify is that, yes, according to Scripture, um, same-sex sexual relationships are, are, are outside of God's design for human sexuality um, from, from the creation onward um, into the New Testament. And we can talk a little bit later about, uh, if you want to, about uh, kind of what's brought up by a lot of our, my progressive friends even, that the same sex that the same sex relationships mentioned in the New Testament, the chart, the, the 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 argument is that those are not referring to um, consensual monogamous relationships like we have today, and I, I would argue that's that's not the case. But we can we can get into that later. But you know, the short answer is um, yes, it does it does fall outside of God's design. For, uh, for human sexual uh, relationships. Yep, and um, for my, uh, you definitely answered it. I, I don't know how to do better than that. So I will, you know, just to give my perspective on, on, on it. And, and I've always hated being asked that, this you know, that way, because it, it's it's sort of like a, a gotcha question. You know, like it's yeah. a, you know, it's, there's, it's, you're in a lose-lose, however you answer that. You know, you, you you're going to, you're going to lose your progressive friends. You're going to lose your conservative friends. And and let me just say for clarification, like I'm not, you know, what the Internet world calls the enlightened centrist. You know, I'm not this guy who is like to me, there is no there's no centrism. There's no, you know, neutrality. We all have our biases. And so, you know, my, my theological leanings are more reformed. Um, but I, I, I can see how I could come across as more progressive on social media with, you know, with, with some of my, you know, some of the stuff I, I say. But, um, you know, anyways, I sell that just to kind of paint a, a context. I'm not doing it to I'm not saying this to sort of come across as a guy in the middle. I'm not. But um, I, I will humbly say that. Yes, I, I would say scripture does um, not favor it. You know, <laughs> scripture does not you know, say it, it, you know, doesn't really paint it in a positive way. Um, but I, I mean, I think people from the progressive side can say we're picking and choosing verses and stuff. And, and I think that, you know, we all do in a way, but I would say overall that I would say, yes, I think it is a sin. Um, but in which where we, we can go into later here, um, later on, I just don't know what to do with that, you know, at, at, at the moment. Yeah. So, and that's yeah. where maybe you as a pastor could, could shed more light in it because it's, it's definitely like, yes, it's a sense, just like you say with other things, like we are all guilty of different things, whether it's, you know, lusting, you know, Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, like Jesus took it all the way, I think to the heart. And I feel like that sort of paints a broad brush and sort of tackles a lot of different areas, whether it's same sex or not, but you can't be trying to hook up with someone in your heart, like, you know, have intentions, have bad intentions with someone who is not your spouse or, um, you know, so whether it's same sex or not. Uh, but, but anyways, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I added anything to your, <laughs> to your answer, but other than to say that, yes, I, I, I do think that it is a sin as well. But again, hopefully people are still listening. Don't give up. um okay so that brings me to my next question that i have a hard time answering is this is does god make people gay 
And I would say the majority of the consensus, not saying this makes it right, but I would say the consensus is that it's not really a, a conscious choice to be gay. I, I think it's fair to say that people are born that way, you know, like the, uh, the lady, the lady Gaga song, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, so if you, I'll share my perspective after you. So I guess first, does God make people gay? And then second, would you say it's, so if that's the case, then is it really a choice? Yeah, I think, I think it's a good question because, you know, you, you would have to ask then, does God make people who want to steal? Does God make people who uh, want to cheat? Does God make people who are violent? I think what happens is God makes people, and then people are going to have different propensities to, uh, you know, everything based on how we grew up, um, what, our, what our dispositions are, uh, what our temperaments are. Um, you know, there's that, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of the, of the nature nurture question. What is nature? What is nurture? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a little bit of both or a lot of both. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I, I would reframe the question, uh, not because I'm trying to avoid it or anything, but it's, it's when we say, does God make someone a certain way, um, if if we only if we only limit that question to uh, uh, issues within the LGBTQ community, then uh, d- does God make someone who's an adulterer? Does God make someone who's a murderer? Um, <clears throat> I think the answers to those questions is that God makes people, and people have hangups, people have hurts, they have habits, and those are gonna those are gonna manifest and express themselves in different ways. We're going to have different. There are going to be things that that you struggle with, Jerry. That are that are more temptations for you than for me. Um, and you know, you walk with somebody long enough, you start to figure that out. And that's part of why in the body of Christ we need each other. Um, and that's why we're not all the same. Uh, and that's you know why we're able to lean on each other. So uh, I think a, a, a different framing for the question is what what is the problem. With same-sex attraction, is it the same-sex attraction itself, or is it the is it acting on that attraction? Um, and there are there are different perspectives on this, even within even within kind of the denomination with it within which I serve, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which has its own sexual problems right now, uh, and a lot of them, but. Um, you have uh, Denny Burke, who has who who's a professor at Southern Seminary, who has said that it is the orientation that is that is sinful. I disagree with that personally. Um, as does Al Mohler. Al Mohler has a different perspective. Al Mohler sees it as um, that. I, this is something he was even questioned on at uh, at, at uh, I don't know if it was this year or last year Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, but where he he indicated that some of this stuff is uh, is just part of somebody's makeup. So I think um, um, I as we've tried to study what it is that would quote unquote cause someone to have same sex attraction, we find some correlations. We find things that happen. 
uh, within the process of embryonic development where there's supposed to be different different chemical releases that happen at different times during development uh, that that uh, produce everything from uh, the the male genitalia to the uh, to the um, uh, I, I guess not ability I'm, I'm searching for the word here but uh, that would make a that would make a, a, a guy like a girl that's what I'm going for and sometimes those chemicals don't get released. Sometimes those things, or sometimes the chemical gets released for the male genitalia, but it doesn't get released for uh, for how that person's going to orient and how what who they're going to be attracted to. And that is where you have some. So there's some correlation, but we don't have it nailed down a hundred percent. So we know some, but we don't know exactly what. So it's fair to say that there's enough evidence, there's enough correlation to indicate that in many cases, in many in many cases, it, it is something that emerges out of someone's um, someone's makeup, someone's natural uh, expression. And so, with that in mind, uh, again, putting this on the same level playing field as any other type of manifestation of, 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 of my propensities and your propensities, we have to deal with that. You know, if I have a propensity to have an explosive, violent temper, I can't just say, well, I was born this way and then go hit people. You know, you can't do that. You've, you've got to deal with that. And uh, there's, you know, they... There was some time ago they were trying to search for a murder gene, you know, like back whenever the gay gene thing was 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 the thing. Well, we don't have enough conclusive evidence to say that there's a gay gene, but we have enough evidence to say there is there can be something that goes on that can cause this naturally in some people. And so what we're consistently taught to deal with in scripture is to deal with wrongdoing when it is in the thought stage. And so this is really an act of the will. No matter what your propensity is, we're, we're taught in Scripture to be more than our nature, to, to be more than our natural wiring, to be more than our, our, our base um, and, and, and carnal instincts, if you will. Be that somebody who's same-sex attracted or be that somebody who's not same-sex attracted but just wants to jump everything of the opposite gender that's moving you know um you can't do that that's that's not how we're that's not how we're we're supposed to operate so there's been a lot of research done and there's a lot more that we have yet to learn and so really all this to say that whether someone discovers who they are later on or if they've always identified their sexuality or gender in a certain way from that point of clarity is where a person's decisions come into play. So it may be that they were born that way, but um, once you under, once you come to, to the understanding of what your propensity is or what your sexuality is, then you enter the realm of decisions. You enter the realm of what to do with that. And that's where I think I, I side more with Al Mohler and, and, and others who would say it's 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 the it's the act 
it's the it's acting on that attraction and that the uh, that where someone begins to cross the line outside of God's design for it. A, a good example of this is a, a, a guy named Wesley Hill, Dr. Wesley Hill. Um, he teaches at uh, the Trinity School in Pennsylvania. And uh, he wrote a book called Washed in Waiting. And he, he identifies himself as a gay man. But he's a Christian. And he chooses, uh, he chooses celibacy. Um, he, he recognizes the same-sex attraction in his life. But he does not act on that. He he lives he lives a life of, of celibacy, and I think he's a really good example of how that's handled. Um, and he, you know, again, I would I would encourage people to, to read his book and uh, to check out his blog and everything like that because he writes about these kinds of questions. So all, all that to say, I don't think it's the attraction itself. I think it's what's done with that with that attraction that determines if, if someone is straying into, um, into an area of, uh, of disobedience. A couple of other resources, and I'll shut up and let you talk, Jerry, is uh, um, understanding gender dysphoria and understanding sexual identity. Both of those books are by Dr. Mark Yarhouse. And then another book, The End of Sexual Identity by Janelle Williams-Paris. Those are both some excellent resources on the conversation about attraction and acting on that attraction cool it makes sense and 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 i you know i would say i I would agree with with a lot of that but i would say to kind of push back a little bit (laughs) um i was thinking about that that this idea that um that if someone who you know is identifies as gay, but oh, and let, let me just step back to as well for for context. Anyone listening, I'm referring to people in the church. So for for clarification, like the people who okay. consciously submit to Christ and who are in the church outside the church. If you don't claim to be a Christian or anything like that, I, I feel like I have no room to speak to that. You know, if you're not if you're not surrendering your life to Christ, if you're just if you're just being you. You know, I'm not talking to that person. You know, I'm talking more to the person who claims to be a Christian, claims to submit to Christ, but at the same time is involved in a same-sex relationship, or you know, not just attracted, but is but is acting on that in a sort of unrepentant way. But um, and it, so for context, I, I forgot to mention that. I, I apologize. Um, but anyway, so I was thinking about this is um, to kind of push back on that, and, and I want to get your sincere thoughts. Um, I know someone like that where they identified as gay, um, but they didn't act on it, right? So what this person did, and um, I'm sure listeners might figure out, because it, it made the, it made the headlines, Kevin down here. Um, so it's I'll I'll say the public stuff out loud. Um, there was a ex Trinity student who was arrested, part of like a sting operation, um, for uh, sexually abusing, molesting um, someone maybe 10 years ago um, for, and this person, and the person was, I think, 17 at the time, and not the, the victim was 17, and the, and the, uh, and the ex-Trinity student was in their 20s. 
So they apparently, according to the news story, had, uh, you know, sort of regular, you know, the, the, the person, the, you know, the older person would say, and, and it was of the same sex, the older gentleman would tell the, the teenage, you know, the teenager say, hey, you know, you know what to do. And what that meant was go in the laundry room, strip down, and I'm going to massage you, and I'm going to touch you in areas inappropriately. So that's kind of putting it mildly. So the the community around here was shocked when they found out who it was. And I mean, and the thing is, is that according to this person, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, anyone listening, I don't want to misrepresent the story. I don't want to misrepresent anything. So please, you know, write me. Um, but according, you know, from my interaction with this person in college and everything was the person knew and identified as gay. But this person chose to be with a female and sort of try to, you know, I don't want to, these are my words, not his words, but sort of try to white knuckle it, right? Like try to like deny it, suppress it. And so my question is this to kind of push back a little bit at you, Kevin, is that's going to disagree with you. But uh, something I'm thinking of is by, by us, by him denying that, right? By him denying, by him trying to you know, choose to have a wife, choose to have kids, try to consciously do those things, sort of deny what his genetic makeup is, did that lead to those acts, right? Even, I'm not not saying because he was a minor. Let's say, let's say if it wasn't right. a minor, let's say if it was someone, two consensual adults, same, you know, close, similar in age, two consensual adults, and he decided to, you know, did, did, did I guess what I'm trying to say is, did we not we, but did he make things worse by denying who he is? And did he, you know, and is that more hurtful? Does that do more harm than good? Like that guy might be an exception, right? The guy that you mentioned, but you know, are there more people out there who are miserable, but who are living celibate lives and who are like, this isn't fair? You know, why does God? want me to be alone forever sexually not just emotionally but sexually why does god want me to be alone and why does god you know want me to deny who i am does that make sense i'm not sure i was all over the place (laughs) (laughs) no 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 that does that does make sense um there there are a few different things a few different things going on there i think um i think part of it is I wouldn't say that someone who is same-sex attracted has to, um, I don't think they have to white-knuckle it. And, I, and what I mean by that is, um, I, I hope, hope this doesn't cause us to digress, but I think, one of the, I think one of the reasons the church hasn't responded well to this is because we've made such an idol out of marriage that we haven't developed a robust theology of singleness and celibacy. Uh, and so a lot of people feel like their only, their only hope in their only hope in living a fulfilled life is whether they are gay or straight, they have to get married and have sex with somebody. And one of the things that, um, one of the things that Paul does that was absolutely countercultural uh, in the culture um, where, when he lived in the first century, is is, is Paul wrote? Um, he he gave a, a revolutionary and exceedingly high view 
of, of marriage, yes, but he also gave uh, an exceedingly, excuse me, an exceedingly high view of singleness. Paul basically wrote, um, actually, he actually he he diminished marriage to an extent because in order to elevate singleness. Um, singleness was seen as such a negative thing in Paul's day, even. Even before Paul's day, there was actually something that went out from um, uh, from from uh, one of the Caesars. It might have been Caesar Augustus. I'm not sure. But if a, if a woman was widowed, if she did not get married again, she would she would be charged a fine. And and so singleness was seen as such a negative thing that it was it was only really acceptable if you were a prostitute. And so if you ended up being a person who wasn't with somebody, well, you were nobody until somebody loved you, right? And, and so it was, it was really looked down on. Where here comes Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians talking about how if, if you want to get married, you know what, great. But just understand marriage is hard. Uh, you know, nobody was saying that. Everybody was saying, well, you're really not fulfilled even within the church. And I think, I think we still have some of that, a lot of that hanging on today. People will say, when are you going to get married? As if getting married is the next step in discipleship. And that's not necessarily true. The church has made an idol out of marriage. And I think a lot of people who are, uh, who are same-sex attracted um, think, well, okay, they're still under that impression. I've got to get married. And if they're same-sex attracted and they want to follow and honor Christ, then they think, well, I got to get married to um, a person of the opposite sex, and I'm not attracted to the opposite sex. If, if they think that, I think we're doing them a disservice. Um, so um, uh, let's see. I want to. I want to bring up this. Um, let's see. I'm, lo- I'm looking something up from something I've taught before. So uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. For, forgive forgive me for this. Um, okay. Yeah, so what, what Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 7 is um, he, he, he actually says in verses 32 to 39 that, they're, uh, that honor and value are bound up in family. And that, that's not what Paul's saying. He's speaking into a culture that says there's no individual honor. You're only, you're, you're only honored as an individual if you're part of a family. So you're no one unless someone loves you. And so what happens is Christianity is really the first religious or philosophical system that lifted up long-term singleness as a legitimate way to live. Christianity is the first religion to do that, the first philosophy to do that. And so what um, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to find it here. Uh, give me a second. I'm <laughs> scrolling. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> no, um, we we probably lost. Almost everybody listening at this point. <laughs> well, we shouldn't have. We yeah. shouldn't have. If we're, if we're having a conversation. Um, no, but but what... Um, oh, there it is. There it is. Okay, he's, he, Paul says, Are you pledged to a woman? Don't seek to be released. If you're married, great. Stay in it. But if you're... If you're you know, are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. I mean, he's actually saying, If you're not married... Don't try to be. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in life, and I want to spare you this. So 
that is just a snippet of something that was really shocking because Paul celebrates singleness and really says that someone can be someone it is possible for someone to be single and to live a completely fulfilled life because what happens with sex and sexuality is even even with couples who get together and they enjoy sexuality eventually you work to a point of 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 intimacy in your relationship with that person where sex isn't the main thing anymore and that's part of what i think has has derailed this whole conversation is we think that we have to have sex in order to have a fulfilled life and what the scripture actually teaches is that jesus christ himself you say we're talking to people in the church jesus christ himself is lifted up as the model for humanity and he wasn't married and he never had sex so what do we do with that as christians if jesus is the model human and and he and and, and the person lifted up as a model human uh, was an unmarried virgin then what does then where are we in the church getting off saying that someone has to be married and has to be sexually active in order to to live a fulfilled life you don't um one of the things that i love about uh the book mere sexuality by todd wilson is he lays out a whole theology of sacred and holy friendships and and, and relationships between people of the same of the same sex who have same sex attraction but it's not sexual it's 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 deeper than that it's it's friendship and companionship that isn't hinging on sexual intimacy so i i think to kind of to, to kind of get around to all this i don't i can see where um i can see where the church making marriage an idol would contribute to somebody like the guy that you're talking about um feeling like they had to do something to to find this companionship and fulfillment and would equate celibacy with loneliness but the scripture doesn't do that because the, the what the scripture does is it is it encourages those single people to to find their ultimate community or to find their ultimate fulfillment in in community with brothers and sisters in Christ and in their relationship with Christ because um, Paul goes on to say that there are going to be things that a person who's not married can do that a married person can never do and he actually actually Paul actually says that you are able to serve more fully single than married because a person's loyalties are divided when they're married so i think um if if the listeners are staying with us at this point i think it i think if we can get away from marriage as an idol and start seeing singleness and celibacy for the gifts that they really are um then then it's not seen as this lesser option or this consolation prize to be single and to honor god in your singleness it's actually seen as as an equally high calling an equally high opportunity for someone to serve the lord in ways that married people just can't and so that's why i i, I cringe whenever i hear of people who are same sex attracted thinking that the answer is for them to to marry someone of the opposite 
gender and that it's going to make that attraction go away. It's not. I do think it, it's repressed then and it's, it's not being dealt with in a healthy way. No, perfect. And, and I think, too, to, to kind of add to that. Oh, I'm perfect. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean. You're, 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 preacher, man, what do I do? <laughs> no, so I think, you know, from my perspective to add to that is a, a couple of things. Um, when I was a, and, and I think you nailed it on the head when you said that the church idolizes marriage. Oh, yeah. Now, now we say that as married men, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's. I'm sure people can dismiss us and say, well, you're married. You know, you don't know what it feels like. But I, I think you, you nailed it. Like the church has failed in, 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 in the idolizing marriage. But not only that, but when, when I was growing up as a Christian, you know, I didn't become a Christian until I was 15, 16 years old. So post 15, 16 year old, when my hormones are going through the roof all the way through Bible college, um, you know, we grew up pretty much at the height of of. In, if people in the late 90s, early 2000s will remember, there was the height of the purity movement, right? Where, oh gosh. you know, yeah. with the whole true love weights. I mean, I, I had the, the ring and, and, and it's like you go from being told that, you, you know, sex is bad if you're not married. Sex is bad. Sex is bad to being mm-hmm. married to, okay, go ahead and let loose now. And you're like, yeah. How, what am I supposed to do? You know, it's just so – there was just so much confusion, and, and I say all that because it's. I think the church in general has has in our in, in America at least has failed at really addressing these issues, which is why one I started this podcast not to be the end all be all, but to uh, I, you know yeah. I, I I had to I wanted to start this podcast because I'm like I want to have these conversations because people don't want to have these conversations or they do but not in not on Sunday right not right. not where it's supposed to take place. So, um, and anyways, I, I say all that because like it's it's there's just so much confusion and there's so much um, uh, yeah just mixed messages with, with with this approach to marriage and sexuality that it causes so much confusion. And my generation, you know, with the purity movement, we were just so confused. We were so like we don't know what to do and. It's like you went from well pre married it's bad and and you and you're the worst person in the world to yeah. post marriage have at it that now it's like I can see how someone can can see singleness as as loneliness and even I, I actually a a a lady I, who you know I knew years ago she mentioned a good point and and I've been very conscious about it ever since you know she was single at the time and she goes you know Jerry I know it's gonna sound weird but um. If you see single people, you know, usually the church tries to hide them, you know, where where they have the Bible study deep in the basement somewhere, <laughs> you know, and she said, you know, she made, she made an interesting point that I'm very conscious about. She said, if you see someone who you know is single at church or went, hug them, you know, yeah. have physical contact with them, not in yeah. a sexual way, but just they mm-hmm. need that. And she's like, I need that. So I, I've been very, yeah. you know, she was sort of like a grandma to me, you know, and I would hug her and. And I remember when I first became a dad, she was like, you know, we worked together and she was like just giving me advice and saw how scared I was as a new dad. But, you know, and she mentioned it. She's like, I know it's going to sound selfish, but don't be scared to hug me. You know, it's, it's yeah. OK. And and so it's just like singleness is really seen as just this, uh, you know, taboo, I guess you can say, um, as this sort of sin. And and you're right, man. I mean, it's so true. We, we idolize family. 
we idolize marriage, we idolize relationships like, you know, in a way that it makes it, it's caused a lot of damage and, and we're living it. So, again, I, the disclaimer, we, we Kevin and I are saying this as married men, you know, so not not to make light of people who are who don't think it's fair. Like, it's not fair yeah. that you can say that you can you can you you go to bed with someone every night and and but. You know, it's not it's not like it's going to be healed overnight. But I, I think that if the church starts recognizing like, OK, we need to step back and pump the brakes here. And and really, how do we tackle this? You know, how do we have a church full of single people or people who are attracted to the same sex? You know, how do we minister to them? So, um, well, and it's it's funny because um, that's one of the things that at my church here in, in, in Las Cruces, uh, every every now and then there'll be. Uh, every now and then there'll be a question come up, you know, hey, why don't you guys do have a singles ministry and all? And I've refused. I've absolutely said, no, we're not going to do that because right now the way it is, because we don't have a singles ministry, quote unquote, um, singles mingle in the in groups and in worship and everything with people who are in all different stations in life. So, um we have small groups, and our and our and our small groups are made up of people who are married, not married, people who have kids, who don't, who are divorced, who are single parents, and all that. And and because I've I've made a lot of people upset who will just hop from church to church to church looking for the next singles group. It's like you're looking for a meat market. You're not really looking for you know genuine community. And and so what I love about Calvary is these uh, the, what the singles tell me and 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 part of what I'm saying I, I did a whole series on this last year and I had I had single people involved from from day one because I, I understand what you're talking about I'm I've been married 25 years and so yeah I was single at one time but I'm I, you know I haven't been for a long time but everything that I wrote and put together, uh, the singles got a hold of it, and you know they told me where I where I was way off, and 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 help help really help me out with that. But but one of the things that they ended up appreciating, and we we have some singles in our church that are same sex attracted, and what what allows what what causes them, according to them, what causes them to to feel like they are whole is that we haven't con- we haven't created this other program for them and put them off by themselves in the basement or whatever. Um, every group is expected to, to create their own culture and community and family with who is in that group, whether they're single, married, grandma or whatever. And what we, what we've learned from those singles in the meantime with that is that they're in the, they're in the homes of those, married couples getting to know their kids and having meals with them and it's it's this incredible exchange that they have with um the experiences the singles have in sharing with that and how it keeps those married couples from from the natural gravitational pull of only being with their family all the time and you know worshiping their kids you know or whatever whatever it is that that families can tend to do so it's it's just a lot more healthy, and so I realize on the surface in saying that uh, same sex attracted followers of Jesus um, 
uh, you know, if well, what is the option for them? Well, it's it, it is a life of, of celibacy when it comes to sexuality. I realize on the surface how how limiting that can sound, but if the church is really being the church and and really providing the kind of companionship that the church is supposed to provide, um, then again, what I hear from the singles and um, as they're moving through life is that the, that that they don't believe it or not, they say. They don't need the sex. In fact, um, several same-sex attracted um, people that, that I know that are actually in relationships with one another of, of, of I'm not going to give the number, but the majority of the ones that I know, they're actually not sexual relationships. It's more companionship than anything else. So it's just something to go back and rethink. Um, whether you're gay, straight, bi, whatever, if what what the scripture is really trying to get across is we're not supposed to be enslaved to our sexual desires. And marriage doesn't just make that go away. That's that's why you got all these married people addicted to porn and married people having affairs left and right and all this kind of stuff, because it's not like you get married, you get to have sex and it all goes away. If there's an issue with sex, there's an issue with sex whether you're married or not. And that's what the Lord, that's what the scripture is teaching us constantly to, to take into consideration because it is such a powerful impulse. But when we misuse that in a way that's destructive, um, it's, it, it, it does become a monstrosity. And because, because sexuality was designed to be kind of the way that, that you completely make yourself open to somebody else. And if you're making yourself open to somebody else uh, sexually, but not in every other way, it's, that's, where it, that's really the reason why the scripture um, forbids sex outside of marriage. It's not because God's a prude. It's because whenever you're completely, completely vulnerable sexually but not completely vulnerable emotionally and spiritually and in and, and every other way um, it's it's a monstro it becomes a monstrosity and that's why it's such a uh, that's why it will take the nature of a relationship and completely change it overnight and, and make it much harder um, to think straight about that relationship whenever sex is misused cool so all right so I'm going to try to do the impossible here with this topic and yeah. Try to wrap it up in about 10 minutes. So we got about oh, yeah. 10 minutes left. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> so let's try to kind of, even if it's rapid fire, some of these sure. answers. Um, so a couple questions here and then we will wrap it up. Okay, so I've noticed that you and, and even I myself, you know, we, we quote the Apostle Paul a lot. Yeah. And, and I know that from a lot of progressive leaning people, they like to dismiss Paul a lot. Right. Oh, yeah. I've seen progressive, more progressive. And, and forgive me, I'm not trying to make this a progressive debate, but I'm just saying like my understanding of why people who approve of same sex relationship is because and this is where lead me, I guess, sort of a, a twofer here is one, we quote the Apostle Paul a lot. But two, a lot of those people say we don't care what Paul said. You know, he was a, a, a grumpy single man who was a, a, a male chauvinist who told women to shut up in church um, and he was wrong about a lot of things. The reason why we ap- approve same-sex relationship 
is because of Jesus. Because Jesus did not say anything about homosexuality. So, if possible here, and you know, this isn't the last question, but just briefly, if you can, just you know, let, let me know. What do you think about that? Like, one, what is, is the description of Paul accurate, that he was just a cranky old man, single, um, who was trying to make life hell for everybody, um, who was a chauvinist? And two, because they ignore the Apostle Paul, they go to Jesus because Jesus really said nothing about homosexuality. Right, and we can get into this in another podcast if you want, uh, but uh, suffice it to say, if, if, if someone thinks that Paul is chauvinistic, then they haven't really, then they haven't done their homework on Paul. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to sound snarky there, but um, what what Paul wrote about about uh, husbands and wives in Ephesians six has been it, it is it has been poorly poorly conveyed by a lot of preachers. But that's not Paul's fault. That's those are the preachers' fault. What Paul said about submission and how that's supposed to work in the home is is doesn't resemble what a lot of a lot of modern day preachers have done because Paul actually calls for mutual submission. He actually calls for husbands to submit to their wives as much as wives are to submit to their husbands. And that was revolutionary. It was just as shocking for those people in Ephesus to read that as it was for the people in Corinth to read Paul talking and exalting singleness. So so there, there's there's that thing with Paul, but I, I got to leave that right there. Uh, as far as <laughs> As far as Jesus, actually, Jesus said a lot. Again, it's just people don't do their homework on Jesus. So um, did, did Jesus explicitly mention homosexuality? Yes and no. Okay. In the, in the, in the no part, Jesus did not use the word uh, in, in any of the words that would have been available uh, to translate into our current word for homosexuality or men who have sex with other men or women who have, you know, all that. So no, in that regard, but here's what he did do in Matthew chapter five, when he talks about sexual immorality, he uses the term porneia. Porneia was a generalized term. And what a lot of progressives will do is say, well, porneia is a generalized term. So he wasn't singling out homosexuality, but here's the thing. The, the, the accepted teaching of the Jewish rabbis of Jesus day was unanimous and non-disputing in its position regarding same-sex relationships. And what Jesus did, the pattern of what Jesus did is when he differed with what the rabbis of his day believed, he said so. That's why he said, you, that's why he would teach in ways that you have heard it said an eye for an eye, or you have heard it said this, but I say to you. So Jesus had a chance right here in Matthew 5 and again in Matthew 19 that if he wanted to qualify or change the teaching of the rabbis or challenge the teaching of the rabbis, he could have done it, but he doesn't. He uses the term porneia, and he uses it in the same way that was already agreed upon and unanimous among the Jewish teachers of the day in, in their belief that same-sex relationships were, were outside of the will of God. And in Matthew 19, he goes even further when he's asked a question and he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And then he goes on to say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So he, he, in Matthew 19, four and five, he quotes Genesis. Now here's the point. 
if Jesus wanted to make again a very uh, if Jesus uh, <laughs> if, if, I'm sorry if Jesus wanted to somehow make an exception of homosexual behavior he had his chance to do it right here but here's what he does he he quotes the passage from Genesis two to specifically address the question of divorce because that's what he was asked about he said. From the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and for this reason, okay? But what he does is he goes back to Genesis 1 in order to restate the definition, the design, and the intent of marriage for human flourishing, and in doing that, described that the way that the creator designed human beings to relate to each other sexually was exclusively male and female within marriage. He didn't have to do that if he was going to make an exception for homosexuality. But that's exactly what he does. He doesn't just answer the question about divorce. He goes back further and answers the question about the fundamental and original intended design of marriage, which was still binding in his day and is still binding in ours. So Jesus actually said a lot by quoting the Genesis passages and quoting more than he was even asked about. And in, in um, also teaching in ways that were consistent with what every faithful Jewish person would have, they would have understood what Jesus meant when he used porneia. They would have automatically understood that that included same-sex relationships. So, yeah, um, whenever my progressive friends go there with Jesus, it, it, it just, that dog won't hunt. You know, to, <laughs> yeah. uh, it doesn't hold water. I would say my my kind of answer to that as well is is I feel that um, you know there were a lot of things that Jesus I would say didn't necessarily address right like directly right I, I feel like culturally there were things like you've said that were already established that were sort yeah. of given the benefit of the doubt like so that that they were already believed and so I feel that like you said if if, if Jesus you know he was in a way like. A revolutionary, but in the same way, a, a revolutionary and kind of bringing people back to the roots. Like he wasn't, yeah. you know, he wasn't coming up with new ideas. He was correcting the people's ideas at the time. And, you know, it's not like he was, you know, having something new. He was sort of you know, like, you have heard it this, but I say. So um, yeah. I say all that because I, I feel that with marriage it, 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 and even same-sex relationships, I feel like I feel like, you know, and this will kind of lead me to my next, we'll finish up with these, with these last two questions, but uh, before I get there, um, I say that because... You're I, never going to get there. I know. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'm, see, I'm seeing the timer. Um, okay. So I feel like throughout scripture, there is this this theme, this thread of the bride and the groom of, yeah. of the story of redemption, you know, where Jesus is the bride and the church, I'm sorry, uh, the church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. And I feel like that, you know, it's marriage is so in a way, you know, it, it is in a way a, a sacramental in that it is a means of grace in a way. But the fact that the the story of redemption is sort of seen in, in the book of Revelation and even in some of the Old Testament prophets as a marriage, you know, as, you know, yeah. God is the is the husband and Israel is the wife in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's the church that's the wife. And Jesus is the, you know, the husband, so to speak. And even like you quote Paul in Ephesians where he's like, 
husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. You know, he doesn't abuse the church. He doesn't yell at the church. You know, he, he literally died for the church. So there's that sacrificial love. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's you know, these people kind of take the more progressive approach and who are more, you know, open to, to same sex or just like, man, Jesus was about love. He was about acceptance, you know. Um, and, and that's true, you know, and, and I totally get that. But, you know, I would humbly disagree that they say Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality, and, and as you already answered. So um, I guess we'll try to wrap it up <laughs> with these with these two uh, with these two questions. Um, let, let's wrap it up. Let's do the first question and then the second question. OK, the first question is this. Would you say that? OK, one quickly, yes or no. And I think you've sort of already answered that. Is someone who is in a same-sex relationship, would you be comfortable with them in a leadership position at a church? Like whether it's a pastor, worship pastor, you know, uh, deacon, elder? Uh, right. No, no, I wouldn't because not, not, not just because it's a same-sex relationship, but it being a same-sex relationship, if they're acting on that, then, then they, are, they, uh, they are expressing their sexuality in a way that falls outside of God's design. So just like if someone was having an affair or someone, you know, two, two interns were sleeping together that were not married, you know, and again, that's where we got to be consistent. But, um, yeah, same. So, so, so yeah, if someone was involved in a same sex sexual relationship, um, I w- wouldn't be able to have them uh, in a leadership role. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to ask you too was, and that was one of my questions I actually, I, I sent over to you was, you know, are, are we being inconsistent if we don't allow these people while at the same time allowing someone who's been divorced as a, in a leadership role or someone who, you know, is, um, a, an addicted been, gambler. Yeah. Or somebody, I mean, what, what the SBC is facing right now, someone who's been guilty of sexual abuse. No, that you're disqualified at that point. Um, and, and I don't I don't say that lightly, although we have to say it quickly for, for purposes of time here. But mm-hmm. um, no, we have to be we have to be consistent. I mean, if somebody is, if somebody is uh, has a reputation in the community of ripping people off in business, they shouldn't be in leadership, right? Um, because again, that, that the very same passage of First Corinthians six that talks about um, you know the sexually immoral and adulterers and everything not inheriting the kingdom of God, gossips are listed right along with that. And so, you know, uh, when's the last time you heard somebody being dismissed for being a gossip? Well, we need to be consistent. Right. And, and that's true. And just because yeah. just because the church isn't necessarily consistent doesn't mean that, you know, that it's still right. You know, it's it's yes, the church has fallen short big time with that issue, yeah. with letting people who are thrice married, twice married, you know, who you know, openly cheated, had an affair or yeah, yeah, it's like shady business people, you know, so I totally agree with that. Like, just because, you know, you, it's like, I get you want to point to, well, if you're allowing people who are divorced, then, you know, you should allow people who are in the same. It's like, no, it's, 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 I get that saying, but we, like you say, we, you know, we, we have to be consistent. So, um, and I guess uh, before we wrap it up, so this would be the last question and, and I think it'll be a good question to end on, but so how do we share Christ's love while at the same time, you know, how do we share, you know, how do we share Christ's love in the LGBTQ community while at the same time, and you mentioned before that, that you have friends, 
saying it's yeah. it's a sin, you know, saying that it's outside of, of and I know the S word can be offensive <laughs> or can be it, it can, you know, I'm not trying to make lightly of it, but you know, how you know, how do we share Christ's love while at the same time um recognizing that that person is living outside of God's will, you know. Any think, any person, but in, whether it's yeah. a gambler, but in this context for this episode, same sex relationships. You you got to just do life with them. Um, and let them do life with you. That's the thing. When I when I say when, when I say these people are my friends, they are legitimately my friends. There are there are things about life that I'll ask them about because they have expertise in it. It's not like every time we get together, I say, "Okay, so how's this sin going for you?" <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, yeah. That's, that's not because because that's the thing. They know, Jerry. They you know they know what I think. They they know. Some of them come to my church. And some of them started coming to my church when I was doing this series on sexuality. And, you know, they say, Kevin, we don't agree. We're not going to ask to be in leadership because we already know what you think. But we want to come and we want to come and worship Jesus. And and we're not going to agree on this thing. And OK, it's I, I, that's not what we talk about every time we get together. We do go there. But what I do is um, there are other aspects. I mean, how, how can I tell them that they're not defined ultimately by who they want to have sex with if all I ever talk to them about is who are you having sex with? <laughs> right. I, I mean, that, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we talk about we talk about football. We talk about their families. We talk about what's going – where are they going on vacation. We talk about the things that real friends talk about. They share their struggles with me, and I give them counsel. And the thing is, every every I, I don't respond to every problem in their life like, well, if you weren't gay, that wouldn't be happening, you know, because that that's that's just not always where we go. But what I always try to be consistent in is letting them know that I genuinely love them and care about them, that I'm there for them, and that. If they want to talk about this stuff deeper, and sometimes they do, then we go there. But otherwise, we we just do life. We you know you just you just do life. And if the love of Jesus isn't coming out in just you doing life, then you're then you're putting on a show. And um, there's a reason Deuteronomy six says that we we teach all this stuff whenever we sit down and stand up and and whenever we you know go in and go out we we do this thing is we share this stuff as we're just sharing life and I, that's not a sexy answer that yeah <laughs> right. there's no there's no program to that there's no script for that it's just do life with them the way that we saw Jesus doing life with people um, during his life in ministry and the thing is Jesus Jesus loved in a way that he would meet anybody where they were, but he always loved them too much to let them to, to, to let them stay there. And that's you know, whenever those openings come, then we talk about it. We go there. I pray. Um, but that's I, I I don't know if that answers the question. But it doesn't mean that every time you get together, you start hammering away at the same thing. Because then you won't, you soon you won't have any conversations anymore. Now, would you go to if one of them was going to get married to someone of the same sex? Would you go to their wedding? No, and the 
thing is, I already have the kind of relationship with them that they wouldn't even ask me. Okay. You know, they wouldn't even ask me to go um, because we've we've had. I know it sounds weird, but we've we've had these conversations that we've known each other long enough that our friendship isn't hinged on them. I, I guess our friendship is in a place where they wouldn't put the friendship on the line and say, Kevin, if you don't come to this, we can't be your friend anymore because they respect me enough to know not to put me in that position. Mm. And, and I respect them enough to, to, to not make every conversation about, you know, trying to ungay them or something <laughs> or, or, right. whatever, whatever, or yes. whatever it is, you know, um, or, you know, recommend that they apply for some kind of leadership position knowing they wouldn't be given that at my church. Right. So I hope, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. Um, and, 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 and I, and I take that same approach too, where there are people who are, you know, LGBTQ community, both inside and outside the church for me, but it's, it's, I don't have an agenda, you know, where, whether even at, even at my work, you know, it's like, I work at a place that's not a religious environment, you know, they know I went to Bible college, but it's like, but that's, uh, I'm not there to convert the office, you know, I'm not, I'm not there to save souls, you know, I'm not, you know, I know I went to the same school as Billy Graham, but I'm not Billy Graham, you know, like, that's not, that's not who I am. And so I, I take that approach with, with, I guess, everything, not just same-sex, you know, attracted people, not just LGBT, but, um, you know, anybody who I'm not, it's like, I'm just here to be Christ to you. And whether yeah. that's that's to grieve with you, to weep with you, to, to you know, rejoice with you, um, you know, whether you're repentant or not, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not here to... Like you know, to to like you said, to degay you. I don't have an agenda, and, and and they sense that too. I mean, people people are are they don't know if you know it won't go. You know, if they if they don't trust you, you're not going to get beyond surface level stuff. You know, yeah. you, you're going to know. Uh, and so, and I'm and I'm aware of that, but it's you know, I've never been um, one to have a, a hidden motive. So my answer to that is to. Like you said, yeah, I mean, just to have sincere friendships with them and, and to, to know that you, and to them, to know that you can still come to me, you know, if you, you know, whatever need you have, whether it's physical or emotional, you know, um, we're here for you. And we have, we have had people reach out to us, you know, and, and not to, um, you know, to, to undo them or anything, but just because they were in a hurting spot. And so they, um, you know, they, they definitely knew um, you know, to, to come to us. But I, I would say I, I, I would be at a different, I'm not at a place at right now. And I don't know if it's because of fear or anything, but I would go to one, I would go to a wedding, you know, but I haven't been asked to one, but if I was, I would say as of today, I would still go. I'm not saying, you know, you're wrong for not going. I'm saying I'm right for going, but that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at in my journey. You know, I wouldn't, you know, outside of the church, outside of people with non-believers, heck yeah, whatever, sure, have at it. You know, I'll, I'll go all day long, whatever. But that's why I'm not. You know, this could be for another topic. You know, outside the church, and I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to make same-sex marriage illegal. You know, or anything like that for outside the church or anything like that. You know, because if the government starts to tell the church what to do and vice versa, if the church starts to tell the government what to do, we see that you know bad theology leads to bad policies. You know, so. Um, Man, anyways, man, we could keep going, but I'll try to 
Um, I guess that's you know good. something. Some things that listeners may want to consider is you know serve together. Um, that's one of the things uh, here. You know, I live in New Mexico. We're 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 on the border, so a lot of this stuff that you hear about in the news about border stuff and immigration stuff, it's happening right here where I'm at. And so, in my city, Las Cruces, uh, we'll have any you know we'll have a couple thousand refugees uh, come through our city every week. And uh, there are there are several different churches. In fact, there's a church across the street from my current church that houses a uh, uh, a processing center for refugees. And you know, just by way of example, um, our, our our church helps to helps that church feed and uh, you know prepare meals and, and and wash sheets and just do all sorts of things so that the refugees have food to eat, a, a clean place to sleep and everything as they, as they wait to, to get to their sponsors. And the, the last time that we did the food distribution there, um, you know, I show up and, and, and there, 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 there's the same sex couple. And, and the thing is, I know them, they know me, they know I'm the pastor at Calvary. They don't come to my church. <laughs> they, they go, they go to, uh, an affirming church um, but the thing is, we're always like, hey, it's great to see you again. You know, we hug and then we get to work feeding refugees because that's why we're there. And they they pray. And the thing is, they prayed. They, they are the ones that said the blessing this last time. And you know what? I think it counted. Um, you know, I think when they asked God to bless that food, I believe God blessed that food. And, you know, I, I was glad to to work along there beside them. They know me. I know them. Um, and we're friends and we serve together because we, we both care. We both care about what happens to those women and children, refugees that are coming through. And so those are other, you know, that's, that's how a lot of friendships have gotten formed for me is because we've, we've gotten in there and done things together where we do agree. Um, we may not agree on that, you know, on, 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 on those issues and the interpretation there, but we do agree on things where where the body of Christ can serve, and we keep it about that. And uh, uh, you know, I have a for the for those who don't know, you know, I have two kids. I've an I've an eight and a and an almost ten year old. And one of the interesting things is we had neighbors that were an engaged same sex couple. Now they didn't profess to be Christians or anything. But what's interesting is that, you know, for the longest time, my daughter thought that one of the fiancés was, was a boy because she dressed yeah. like a boy, carried herself like a boy. And what's interesting is that, you know, she just, you know, she kept referring to her, referring to her as Mr. So-and-so. And I'm like, no, 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 that's Miss So-and-so. And she kind of just went, oh, and didn't, and didn't even flinch, you know. And so yeah. it's like we just – so they asked like, oh, so they're engaged. They love each other. And I just said, yeah, it happens. You know, it, it happens. It, it's I didn't, you know, say, well, you know, you need to remind them that the Bible says this, you know, like that. That wasn't even on my radar, you know. So yeah. and we and, and they were the it's because of them. I got the dog, I, you know, Brutus, you know, they I love Boston Terriers and my old one passed away a few years ago. And in this in last year, we were ready for a new one and just happened. Our neighbors, move, you know, who moved in at the time and mm-hmm. they happened to have two Boston Terriers and one of them was pregnant and. And then, you know, they ended up moving, but all last year, you know, we would have barbecues and I'd grill up for them. And, and I had, you know, no hidden agenda, just hanging out with them. We had our dogs, you know, they kept one of the puppies. So my dog would play with their dogs and, 
and um, and it was sincere, you know, have you know a few drinks with them, and and you know, I mean, I would, I I don't like the taste of alcohol. It's nothing against it. I just you know so. I would watch everybody else have drinks while I'd be the chef, you know, cooking and grilling. Um, but it was real. It was sincere. And when, when they moved, I mean, you know, we, we got lumps in our throats and we teared up. And we're like, man, we're going to miss you guys. You know, they're, they're moving. You know, they moved on the other side of the state. But we still text. We still I'll, I'll, I'll send them pictures of, of their, you know, Brutus. Of, and I'm like, hey, here, here's how big he is. And and it's so real and it's so sincere, man. And they know we go to church. You know, they know. And it's not like we hid it from them or anything. So. Um, anyway, so I, I guess we could leave it at that, guys. I, I, I yeah. know. Do life, do life with people. It's people, you know? Yeah. People created the image of God, people for whom Jesus died. It's people. Exactly. So, um, I guess, uh, Kevin, I guess we'll leave at, uh, do you want people to find you anywhere? Or do you want to stay off the radar? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 radar is good, man. Um, yeah, you can, you can. <laughs> You can find me on my website and my blog is at uh, kevinglenn.net. That's uh, K-E-V-I-N-G-L-E-N-N.net. And uh, you can email me, kevin, at kevinglenn.net. Um, and, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm easy to find. It's it's really easy to find me. I'm out there. Cool. And uh, for me as well, guys, um, you, know, you can find me at the Doulos Podcast as a Facebook page. Um, but if you want to find me, I'm I'm on Twitter a lot more, and my Twitter handle it's um, at jcdulos one. So that's jcdulos one. So that's my Twitter handle. And uh, let me clarify: uh, people have wondered what that means. Uh, JC is the initials for Jesus Christ, and Dulos is the Greek word for slave. So that's that's the mystery. A lot of people have asked me that: like, what does JC Dulos mean? It's it means I'm Jesus Christ's slave. So. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, you can find me that on, on Twitter and, uh, if you don't have anything else to add, I guess we'll wrap it up and thanks guys for listening. I hope we didn't lose any progressive friends. Don't give up on us. And, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm still that same Jerry, uh, who is fighting for civil rights for everybody, every community, even the LGBTQ community. I am out there with them fighting for their rights. And, um, and so yeah, guys, I, I'll talk to you guys next time. See ya.